Let's open our Bibles to chapter 17 of the book of Leviticus. And in our last lesson, we studied the 16th chapter about the uh, two goats that were offered as an offering, one offering. I think we finished that. But just to remind you of it, uh, you remember that there was one goat that was killed for a sin offering for the congregation and the people. And the other goat was, uh, of course, taken into the wilderness and let go. And both of these goats represented one sacrifice for sin. And of course, we know that they typify the completion of what, or at least a part of what Jesus did on the cross because He fulfilled all of these offerings that are given here in the book of Leviticus. The whole burnt offering as well as the sin offering. But the two goats constituted the sin offering for the congregation. And one of them had to shed blood. And, and the other goat was chosen to be let go, the live goat, into the wilderness. And uh, it typifies the fact that Jesus not only shed His blood to redeem us, but in doing so, He took away our sins into a land of forgetfulness like the goat that was let go in the wilderness, constituting the one sacrifice. So in the process of what Jesus did, He fulfilled both of those types there that you find in the goat that was killed and the other goat that was let go. And so it simply means a lot. Well, it doesn't simply mean it. <laughs> it means a lot of things. And we said that uh, uh, all of this in the 16th chapter constituted full atonement. There was atonement for the sanctuary that was made. There was atonement for the tabernacle that was made for, by these sacrifices. And also atonement for the altar. All of these things had to be atoned for. Atonement for the priest. He first had to make atonement for himself. And there was atonement for all the people. Now, it shows us that Christ is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You find that in 1 John chapter 2. Verses 1-2, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And verse 2 says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. <clears throat> an advocate means an attorney, a lawyer, to plead our case. And he is the propitiation <clears throat> for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that means he's the sacrifice, or the shed, one that shed our blood, his blood. And then, by faith, we appropriate that sacrifice to ourselves. In other words, if He's the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, the whole world is not saved by His sacrifice unless they appropriate His sacrifice for themselves. See, He could die for a million people and only 20 of them accept Him as Savior. But the provision is there. His propitiation is for the sins of the whole world. But the effectiveness of it is only for those who receive it. And then we have, uh, of course, remember the story of the prodigal son. Uh, that uh, when he came home, the, the robe covered him from his uncleanness, as feeding the hogs. The robe covered him uh, from his poverty. And it was a complete covering. And that robe represents uh, Christ. And of course, we could talk about a lot of things about the prodigal, but that's not our message. Now, the message of the blood 
is a message of peace. And we find that in the 16th chapter. A message of peace. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross. And the message of this message of the blood is a message that of sins that are gone. Our sins are gone. Psalm 103, and you may have these, I think I gave them to you in the last lesson. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. So it's a message of peace by the blood of the cross. It's a message that our sins are forever gone. It's a message of the defeat of the devil. John 12 verse 31, the Bible says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus, anticipating His shed blood on the cross, says this is going to defeat the devil. And then, of course, it's a matter of barring doom. Doom barring. It bars us being doomed or judged uh, with eternal judgment. And you find that in John 5 verse 24. Where's Emily? There she is. John 5, verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. So, that's the verse I wanted you to memorize. I wanted you to memorize. John 5, verse 24. Now listen carefully again. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life right now. And if it's everlasting now, that means it's everlasting everlastingly, right? And if you have it, you already possess it. And then, and shall not come into condemnation. That means you won't be eternally judged uh, for the penalty of your sins. But it's passed from death into life. That means from spiritual death into spiritual life. And you're spiritually alive. You have not passed from physical death to physical life. You've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. I heard a preacher the other day say, I'm going to shoot down that theory of eternal security of the believer. And I thought, brother, brother I could shoot back at you if you just give me an opportunity. And the Scriptures he used were completely out of order. Uh, the Bible says in John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give unto them eternal life. And listen. And they shall never perish. You know what the word never there means? It's double negative. It says, never, no, not at all, perish. Never, not under any circumstances, perish. And then it goes on to say, uh, my Father that gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then there's another scripture that Jesus said, uh, <clears throat> Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. You have the double negative there again. It means, shall not, no, not at all, under any given circumstances, shall in no wise, that means anything, cast out. Amen. That to me is security. Yes. Amen. You can take it like you want to and twist scriptures around. And the scripture he used, this preacher, and he's very good. I'm not. I'm just saying. I, I don't believe he's right on this point. But he used that scripture in, in the book of uh, Revelation where it says, "He shall not blot out his name out of the book of life." 
The same word is used there. Shall not, no, not at all, blot his name. And what God was saying there is that, that there wouldn't be any condition that the believer's name would be blotted out of the book of life. So it's still the Scripture He used to prove not security, proves security. Isn't that amazing? How people can take Scriptures that prove one thing and it means exactly the opposite thing. That It's the same double negative there. And it's just like Jesus when He said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My Word shall not... What does it mean? No, not at all pass away. And so, you're going to have to take all of them if you take one of them. You can't just say, well, that one over there means that He can blot your name out of the book of life. No, He says He'll never do it. He says He shall not, no, not at all, blot your name out of the book of life. And this preacher twisted it around. And by the way, he's very popular. And I'm not going to call his name. I'll let you figure it out. And he's, uh, uh, he said... Uh, this proves that some can be blotted out of the book of life. I said, well, I don't see that it proves that. It looks to me like it proves that Noah, that all God's children, none of them shall ever be blotted out of the book of life. Amen. So you can take it however you want. And of course, there's two sides to every coin, but I believe that I've given you the uh, proper way to um, accept it. So it's a message, message of peace. It's a message of sins that are gone. It's a message of the devil's defeat. It's a message of doom barring, B-A-R-R-I-N-G. That is John 5.24, which means that we're barred from that judgment and not under the doom or condemnation that would lead us to final destruction. And it's a message of hindrances removed. You know, the Bible teaches in Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4, that uh, there are many hindrances in life, but he's, he's taking care of those too. And then a, a message of heavenly joy. Uh, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. So Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was before Him. Despising the shame and is set down on the right hand of God. Have you ever thought what that really means? What was the joy before Him so much so that He endured the cross. The joy of the redemption of lost souls by what He was doing. And He could see beyond the cross to what it would accomplish. Amen. That's amazing to me. And by the way, the only way that you receive these things, and this is, brings us up to date, is by confession, repentance, and then we find that we should have a godly walk with the Lord as a result. Because the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by grace and through faith. And then someone says, Well, you left works out of it. Read the next verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. And so. We do include works, but as a result of being saved. Not to be saved, but in order that we show and people know that we have been saved. That's the result of it. It's just like you say, here's an apple tree down here in the Hondo Valley. Well, how do you know it's an apple tree? Well, every once in a while you see apples on it. Sometimes it's not a good crop, like many of us. And sometimes it's full. 
But it's still an apple tree. And you know it by what? It's, the tree is known by its fruit. That's what it's known by. Okay. Now then we get to the uh, next chapter. And this is a very interesting chapter too. And we have many things to say in this uh, 17th chapter. So let's read chapter 17 of the book of <clears throat> Leviticus. <clears throat> I think we've dealt fully enough with the 16th to show you the full meaning of that chapter. Chapter 17. <clears throat> and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, saying, What man soever there be of the house of Israel, that killeth an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, and bringeth it not. Now, circle that word, bringeth it not. Not. The word not. Unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. In other words, if he doesn't bring it to the place of offering, it says, to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man he hath shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among the pe his people. Why? He tried to offer a sacrifice not according to the place that God provided for him to offer the sacrifice. We'll get into that more in the comments. To the end that the children of Israel may bring... Look, this is the purpose. May bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, unto the priest, to offer them for peace offerings unto the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, after whom they have gone whoring, this shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or the strangers which sojourn among you, that offereth a burnt offering or sacrifice, and bringeth it not, there you have it again, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, to offer it unto the Lord, even that man shall be caught up from among his people. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut, off, cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it unto you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. By the way, that Leviticus 17.11 is another verse that you ought to have well in your memory. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Not only physically, but in every sense of the word. And I have given it unto you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or the stranger that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is, is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. And every soul that eateth that which dieth of itself, or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one 
of your own country a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Now, last part, let's deal with the last part of this section first of all. We have a group that say when you take a blood transfusion, you're eating blood. And therefore, they do not permit it. That's not what the Scripture is talking about here. It's talking about, if, just like we have men here that go deer hunting. And the first thing you do is drain the blood out of that deer. If you're going to use it to eat. Because God says it's not good for you to do it. it in fact, it wouldn't be good in any form or fashion, but that's the first thing that's done. And that's why that it has to be taken out of the animal. Whatever kind it is. A chicken? Fowl? Any kind of animal that is to be eaten of men has to be properly drained and attend to. And then the flesh or the meat can be used properly. And that's what it's really talking about. You're not to be a vampire and eat blood. You're not to eat blood in any form or fashion. But it's not talking about one life being saved by the blood of another. And of course, that's a scientific development far uh, past the time that we're talking about here. But it's not the same thing. And you know, that's why many uh, groups, or especially one, and I won't name them, you know who it is, will not permit their families to have a blood transfusion. Well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't be here standing before you this night it had not I had them. My blood was the hemoglobin was uh, five, 4.1. You know what hemoglobin is supposed to be in a male from 14 to 16? You, you, know you know what your oil stick is on an automobile? In other words, you're running on empty. And if you don't put some oil in there right away, that thing, that motor is going to conk out on you. Well, anyway, they gave me six units of blood before I got back to halfway normal at one time. And then they began to fix the problem of, of me not having any blood. The nurses down at the hospital said, uh, Who is that guy that they brought in here without any blood? <laughs> and Dr. Allen put me in there and started giving me that blood. And by the way, when you get it all at once, it causes a lot of things to happen to you. My face swelled up, my nose swelled up, my eyes and my ears swelled up, and I looked like a, a stuffed frog, I'll tell you for sure. Uh, Daryl had a little, uh, had a little uh, record, you know, about this frog. One of those little bitty records. And I forget how it went, but it says, He puffed himself up, and he puffed himself up, Till finally, what did he, he exploded? He finally he burst. So that's like a lot of people. They puff themselves up till finally they burst. But I thought that's what was going to happen to me. But be that as it may, uh, there you know, if you need uh, blood transfusion, you go ahead and get it, and you're not you're not breaking this scripture at all. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It's talking about eating the blood of of animals, basically. But, it, uh, of course, it would include, we know that you're not to eat 
the blood of be a cannibal and eat the blood of a human being or be a vampire. But see, people, you know, people take scriptures out of their context and they twist it to mean anything they want to mean, and they can build a case on it. And that's how the, how Catholicism got purgatory. That's how they got purgatory. You know where they got it from? He shall not be released from that prison until he's paid the uttermost penalty in the Gospels. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about man being uh, taken before the court and if he's convicted, he's going to have to pay the, pay the fine. Yeah. That's what it's talking about. It has nothing in the world to do with any purgatory, any hereafter, anything like that. In fact, there's a scripture that tells you what purging our sins is, and there's only one purging of our sins. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, When he had, this is Jesus, by himself Amen. purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1, 3. If you want to talk about purging of your sins, here or hereafter, it's done. it was done here when Jesus died on the cross. But anyway, let's get on with this. I get sidetracked a lot, don't I? Okay, let's go on. We read the 17th chapter, and I thought I would get that last part of it out of the way before we start dealing with the other things that we find here. Now then, first of all, life belongs to God, and the power of atonement can be found only in the blood. There's no other thing that will make atonement. And it speaks of of the man that brings it not unto the door of the tabernacle. Look at verse 4. If he's making an offering, a sacrifice, he's condemned for not bringing it to the door of the tabernacle. Now then, uh, this is after the Levitical priesthood. This is what Moses was instituting is the law of uh, the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood. And we've been teaching on it already much. But before that time... You take in the days of Abraham, and uh, days of Job, and Job was ri- uh, written later, but it, the context would lead you way, way back to the early part of the Bible. Because it do- it's not written in chronological order. The book of Job could very well be placed back in the days of Abraham. We don't know what the, the chronological order of Job is, but I'll just use that too. You remember Abraham offered sacrifices. Remember Noah offered sacrifices for his family. Uh, remember Cain offered a sacrifice, and Abel offered a sacrifice. Cain's was wrong; it was a bloodless sacrifice. Abel was offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews eleven four, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So he was accepted as righteous because he offered by faith. He knew God would accept it. It was a blood sacrifice. And therefore it was by faith. And Cain had doubts about his being accepted and it was not. Because he couldn't offer it by faith. God had not said anything about the way Cain would offer his sacrifice of the fruit of the ground. That's works for salvation. That's of our own doings. It's not what God has provided in the, in the innocent lamb or uh, animal dying for our guilt and the blood being shed as Abel offered. You know, there's only two kinds of religion in the world. Religion of 
blood sacrifice and works. Every other religion, it comes under the heading of works. And you say, well, the heathen offer sacrifices, but not in relation to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Theirs is still works. Because it's of their own sacrifice and their own doings that they claim that they can uh, do something to, to gain in the, God's presence. But anyway, that's another subject altogether, but I just wanted to give you this. Now then, uh, we, we find that that was the way it was done previously. If you remember when Job, it, the, the book of Job opens up, it tells us that uh, Job offered sacrifices for his sons and daughters. He says, because I do not know whether or not they sinned against God. And I'm going to offer sacrifices for them. So he, as the priest of head of the house, and the man before Israel's time and before before the Levitical priesthood, was acted as the priest for the family, and he did offer sacrifices. And that's why God is putting here: you shall not do that anymore. You're going to follow this plan that God has instituted to bring your sacrifices to the door of the tabernacle. And now we have a priest that will offer them, indicating that there would be a priest that would offer sacrifices for our sins. All of this is typical of the priesthood of Christ. And the fact that that we can't go anywhere else but unto Christ for our sacrifices. And we have to go in God's way in God's prescribed manner. Now, um, it was a most solemn matter, for the sacrifice could not be offered other than the way that God had prescribed it. And here it says they offered not. And they would be cut off. We read that several times, didn't we? In other words, it was not acceptable to God. And to offer a sacrifice in any manner other than God has directed was to rob God of His rights to tell us how to do it. You know, when God says this is the way it has to be, well, we have to follow God's directions. It'd be just like a man saying today, well, you know, I know Jesus died on the cross, but, but what? You're going to make up your own mind as to what is going to get you to heaven. And, you know, the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto man. Proverbs, uh, two places over in 14, 16, I believe, or 16, 14. And there's another place there uh, close by. And a couple of chapters over, one of them is 25, I believe. I think it's 1416 or 1625. You might check it out. Maybe I have them reversed. But it's in the book of Proverbs. Uh, anyway, uh, we find that there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The ways of death. Now then, uh, so every way that man decides that will suit God is not... Uh, what God has as His rights to tell us how to offer sacrifices. Now, a sacrifice must be offered in the place that God prescribes. And that was the tabernacle. That was the only meeting place between God and man. That was the only meeting place that God had between Him and man at that particular time. Now then, we find that to try to meet God in some other place proved that the heart did not want God. It proved that it was going against what God had, had said that was necessary. And that, that shows that they didn't want God to command them how to offer their sacrifices. And so it says, therefore, they would be cut off, right? 
And there is only one place where God's appointed uh, a place to meet uh, uh, sinners today. And what is that place? That is the cross. That's the place that God meets sinners today. Because Christ is the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. And He's the He's the completion of all of them. Remember how we first, when we first started showing you that the, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, uh, all of these represented Christ? And we showed you how that in one offering... Let me turn you back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And I showed you two things there that you need to well remember. Ephesians 5 and verse 2. I want you to see this. Five and verse two, and notice what it says here. It says, "And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us." Now look, and hath given Himself for us. Notice that for us. Well, if He gave Himself for us, that had to be for our sins, right? An offering and a sacrifice to God. But it was to God. But to God it was for a sweet-smelling savor. We said that in this verse there's two sacrifices mentioned here that we've studied in the Old Testament. The one was a sin offering for us. The other was a whole burnt offering acceptable to God which was became a sweet-smelling savor unto God. So, we, we studied the burnt offering and we studied the sin offering. But you have both of them here fulfilled in Christ. One sacrifice. See, it was for our sins. But it was to God and to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It was a whole burnt offering. And the whole burnt offerings were sweet-smelling savor. They were sweet savor offerings. And we find a lot of those, several of those in the Old Testament that we dealt with previously. But I just wanted to show you that Though you have Christ in His one offering on the cross, it it was a peace offering, having made peace by the blood of His cross. Remember we just gave you that. uh, uh, Colossians 1 verse 20. You already had it in the summing up of the 16th chapter, right? So, uh, you have the uh, peace offering there by His blood. You have the whole burnt offering uh, in Ephesians 5 verse 2 where it says... To God for a sweet-smelling savor. You have the sin offering. His sacrifice was He has given Himself for us an offering unto God. That's Ephesians 5 verse 2, the same verse. And we've already studied all of those offerings. And then we've studied the trespass offering. It was also offered to God for our uh, trespasses. That's sins that we've committed after the sin offering. It's more than just the penalty of our sin. It's the sins that we've committed afterwards. And we gave you 1 John chapter 1, verses 7-9, through which says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, His Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's the trespass offering. That's it. If we as believers confess our sins. John says, if we confess our sins. Who's the we? John as well as ourselves. Because he knew he had them as well. And uh, you know, none of the apostles claimed to be above sin. None of them claimed to be sinless. All of them confessed their weaknesses, their sins and shortcomings. 
their need for the forgiveness of their sins and the confession of their sins. And where people get off today and think that, you know, you're holier than everybody else and that you, you know, never sin, you do. We don't like to, to have, have to use that, uh, parachute. You know, if you go up in an airplane, the old ways, you know, where you had to have, buy a plane, you had to have a parachute in case something went wrong. Nowadays, everybody goes down with a plane, but anyway. <laughs> You don't have parachutes now. Everybody goes down when it happens. But anyway, just say the old days when they had everyone have a parachute. Well, you know, you go up in that plane, you say, well, I got the parachute. And I'm I'm just anxious to use it. I'm going to jump out the window. Well, that's like Christ's provision for our trespasses. If we can, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, we have, the, we have the protection of that parachute. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just like 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which I quoted a little bit ago. It said, what does it say? Let my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But, well, well we know what happens if I do, John. But if any man sin, we have an advocate. We have the parachute. We have the provision with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, we who are Christians, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we have that that other provision for that trespass offering that's provided for in this book of Leviticus. That's why I say a proper understanding of all these these, uh, offerings that you find in Leviticus is very important for us to understand what all Jesus did for us. He didn't just do one thing. He did a whole bunch of things. He did a whole lot of things. He delivered us from the penalty of sin by a sacrificial death. He's delivering us from the power of sin by His intercession and by uh, on high right today. He's going to one day deliver us from the very presence of sin when He comes again. And we'll be taken out without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Jude says, without spot and blameless. Now then, we need to understand these things. So the cross is where the sinner is appointed place for him to meet God today. He goes to the cross. And he says, in the cross, I find Jesus finished the work for my salvation. And I accept Him totally as my complete sacrifice. And there's nothing that I can add to it. A lot of people try to take from it. And others try to add to it. You know the difference, don't you? The one that takes from it said, well, you know, He shed His blood. But was that really necessary? You know, He's a good man. And he set us an example. Well, that's, that's trying to, to diminish the value of the work of Christ. But then trying to add to it and say, Yes, He died for my sins totally and completely. He finished the work. But I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do something else. You've got to do nothing. That's right. You may need to do something. And we all need to. But you're not going to. 
that's not going to add to the price that He paid. He paid the full price. The Bible says you're bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore glorified. Therefore what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So there's some things we're to do. But that doesn't add to the, to the payment. Jesus paid it all. We sing a song. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And that's where all these folks that add to it and add to it, what you're really doing is taking from it. By adding to what Christ did, you're taking from it. In other words, let, let me try to put it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now someone comes along and gives you a gift, a most precious gift. And you say, my, that's wonderful. And then you start trying to pay for it. You're diminishing the value of that gift, aren't you? You're really taking from it by trying to pay for it yourself. You're not accepting it as a free gift. It's given it freely. And you say, well, you know, they paid $1,000 for that and I'm going to try to give them back 250 to try to make up for that. Well, then it's just not even a full gift, is it? If you give it in relation to that. A gift is a gift. And the Bible says the wages, this is what you earn, right? The wages of sin, we've earned that, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, if you want that Scripture, it's Romans 6, verse 23, I believe. Okay. So, uh, we need to understand some things that Jesus did for us. Now then, to reject this meeting place is to bring down the judgment upon oneself. Uh, there alone at the cross has God's claim been duly recognized. At the cross of Christ, you duly, re duly recognize God's claim. He claims that you have to come to the cross. That's why Paul said, I preached on it a couple of Sundays ago, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'm going to preach on the cross this Sunday and next. Or let's see, no, this coming Sunday is the first, right? Okay. And then I'll preach on the resurrection, uh, the eighth. And so be sure and get on both of these because one of them's on the cross, and the next sermon it will be on the resurrection of Christ. And let me give you this: I think the title of my message on Christ's resurrection, "If Christ be not risen, our preaching is vain." Your faith is also vain. You're yet in your sins. All they that are asleep in Christ shall perish. And in First Corinthians 15, verse 20, it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. But anyway, we're going to talk about the negatives of the resurrection. If Christ be not risen, everything falls apart. And I better stop or I'll preach it tonight. So let's go on. Let's go on with this. Let's go on with this. So, to reject this meeting place is to bring down uh, the judgment of God upon oneself. It's to trample underfoot the just claims of God. God had claimed that's the only place that you could do that. And uh, so, you, you have to do that. And then, let's, 
talk about this. The proof of the text for these verses is, is found in Deuteronomy 12, verses 5 through 12. A second statement I want to make that atonement is God's gift to man. Atonement is in the blood and only in the blood. And we read where it's uh, the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. And it is not the blood plus something else. It's not the blood plus something. It is the death of Christ that rent the veil. And it is by the blood of Jesus we have boldness entering into the holiest. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood. Listen. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And by the way, Colossians uh, 1.14, I believe it is 1.14, that says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. A slight difference in the wording. And of course, Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace by the blood of His cross, we've already given you that. The blood of Christ is the foundation for every grace of salvation. Every grace of salvation is found in the blood of Christ. The Bible says, He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? With Christ also he shall freely give us all things. Now then, uh, we find also that it's a ground of righteousness. God's righteousness. In justifying us for our justification. The justification of an ungodly sinner that believes on the name of the Son of God. It's the ground whereby the sinner can draw nigh unto a holy God. And that's the only way we can draw nigh to a holy God. And so we find that uh, we'll just let that conclude uh, for our lesson tonight because we get into chapter 18 and it's, well, yeah, it's chapter 18 has to do with the way the. Uh, children of Israel followed the example sometimes of the Egyptians and they did the wrong